have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Mark. We're going to talk about someone who made their life a blessing. John the Baptist. In John chapter 3, verse 30, John is giving testimony of why he's there. And he finishes, that ver he finishes the whole sermon, if you will, with this phrase. He must increase and I must decrease. He knew where he belonged in the scheme of things when it came to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But then over in Matthew, and we'll read this to you as well, Matthew 11, verses 7 through 11, Jesus gave testimony of John the Baptist. And here's what Jesus said. As these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John, John the Baptist. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among the, those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. Jesus thought a lot of his cousin John. They were sort of half blood related. But John was precious to Jesus. And after the, the disciples have gone out and they have performed all these miracles and stuff and people have seen Jesus' work, there begins to be some speculation uh, the popularity, obviously, of Jesus is increasing. And now his ministry in Galilee has kind of fallen into the crosshairs of Herod the king. And I put that in quotes. Herod the king in Rome, the government of Rome. So we're going to see kind of how that begins to materialize through the rest of the book. Mark records in a very good detail here the conspiracy and the evil that brought about the death of John the Baptist. And he shows John's full commitment to the gospel message all the way to the very end. John fought for truth all the way to death. Let's read the passage and then we'll explore it a little more. Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 14. King Herod heard about it because Jesus' name had become well known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he's Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets from long ago. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, the one I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he would be very perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. An opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. When Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, 
and I'll give it to you. He promised her with an oath, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? John the Baptist's head, she said. At once she hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter immediately. Although the king was deeply distressed because of his oaths, oaths and the guests, he did not want to refuse her. The king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And then the girl gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard about it, they came and removed his corpse and placed it in a tomb. Let's pray. Father, what a tragic story if we look at it only from earthly eyes. But from your kingdom, we see a glorious prophet who spoke the truth. His message penetrated. Many repented. Many were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. But even at the point of death, he was still declaring your word. So show us how we can do that, Father, through these lessons of John's life. In your name I pray, amen. So Mark is recording the decreasing role, if you will, of John the baptizer, and it's so that he, we can show Jesus' increasing role as he moves toward the cross. Evil people will play roles in all of this. And everything that God has ever done, evil people has played a role in the exaltation of Christ. So how does this rampaging evil that we see here in these texts bring glory to God? Well, I want to show you in three places kind of the way or in this event that leads to God's glory in the exaltation of a prophet. God seeks his glory in our reverence. And that's the first thing that the people in Herod missed. They had a fear of man, not God, and it confused them. That's point number one. Look at verses 14 through 16. King Herod heard about it because Jesus' name had become well-known. Popularity. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. See, this particular thing, these three verses, this happens before John's death, or after John's death. This is kind of in current time, if you will, as we're progressing through the book. So understand where, where we are in the whole storyline. But others said he's Elijah. Still others, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets from long ago. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, the one I beheaded, has been raised. Okay, so Jesus and his disciples are growing in popularity, like I said, and they caught the attention of Herod Antipas. And I'm going to refer to him more as Antipas than as Herod because Herod is a family name. His father had that name. He has that name. His brothers have that name. His children will have that name. Their children will have that name. The name Herod goes on for a long time in the history of the world. But Herod Antipas, he was the ruler of Galilee, and Perea, the northern area of Palestine, where Jesus had been doing all of his ministry. And he was a son of Herod the Great. So let me give you a little background on the Herods, okay, what they were. First of all, Herod the Great, he's the father of the whole thing, and as far as the Herods go. He was the guy who killed all the babies in Bethlehem trying to get Jesus. So he's evil. Anyway, he ruled all of Palestine for Rome, basically. All of the, what we know today as modern-day Israel, Herod ruled all of that for Rome, by the way, not for 
his own edification. Um, and if you look in Luke chapter 3, you'll see that, that he had sons that were given portions of Palestine. Now, one thing you need to understand about the Herods is they are not Jewish. They're what they call Edomian. That's their, that's their nationality. But basically, they're descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. So they're not, they're not Jewish as of the line of Abraham through Jacob, through Isaac, through Jacob. They're Edomians. So they're not Jewish, technically Jewish at all. <clears throat> and then there was Herod the great son, Archelaus. Archelaus ruled Judea when Jesus and his family were coming back from Egypt. And they went around Jerusalem because Archelaus was an evil man and an incompetent man. Eventually, Rome replaced him with governors, which leads to Pilate. But that's another story. And then Philip, one of the other sons of Herod the Great, ruled Batania, which is kind of west of the Sea of Galilee. I, I'm sorry, east of the Sea of Galilee. I got my directions. Map turned upside down in my head. So those are just that's just some background. So you know who the Herod we're talking about. It's Antipas. He ruled Galilee, and he was a tetrarch. He really wasn't a king for Rome. None of them were really kings. They were all puppet rulers. So Herod has got John the Baptist and Jesus in his crosshairs. And Herod is the one that eventually leads to John the Baptist's death, which we'll see in a minute. But people were speculating who, John, John, uh, who Jesus was. And, of course, it's the same thing that, that Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And we'll get to that in Mark as well at Caesarea Philippi. Um, but people are guessing. People are speculating. Who is Jesus? Well, one guess was John the Baptist, who is dead, is now alive again, working miraculous powers, because you can only work miraculous powers if you were dead and now you're raised to life. That's superstition. It's just the way they thought. And I think we think that way too sometimes, at least the world does. So they, some thought it was John the Baptist raised from the dead, and that's why they were doing so many miraculous powers, Jesus and his disciples. Another guess, which I think was a better guess, is Elijah. The reason is because... Malachi, in Malachi 3 and Malachi 4, it's a prophecy that the Elijah will come back, or Elijah will come back, not the Elijah. But because Elijah never died an earthly death, he was carried into heaven in a chariot. He never died physically. People always kind of speculated that Elijah would come back in, in a person, in a sense, as Elijah. And so they were guessing that it was Elijah. And the scribes taught that Elijah had to come back before the Messiah came. And, and that is true. And as we know, Jesus says John the Baptist was the Elijah. But that's also another sermon. And then some were guessing the Old Testament prophets, like Jeremiah, Isaiah, maybe even Moses. They thought a lot of the, the, that those guys had some miraculous power. So they were guessing those as well. And Herod, he decided it was John the Baptist. I mean, he was making a statement here in verse 16. It's John the Baptist. He's, he raised from the dead. I cut his head off. He's raised from the dead. How could this be? But he was wrong again. So here's the point I want you to get from these three verses right here. These people, the crowds that had not come in contact with Jesus, probably, and Herod, they guessed wrong because they forgot where miraculous powers come from. They forgot who holds those kind of powers. They forgot that God is the only source of any kind of miraculous power. Even the things that we say and, and we've read that Satan has done was allowed by God. Satan doesn't get to run willy-nilly. He's still under God's control. 
So God is the source of any miracles. And these people completely forgot that. Jesus and the disciples are, are healing, raising, exercising demons, all this stuff. And they are like, oh, it must be another man did, doing this. They lacked fear of God is what they lacked. They didn't fear God. They didn't trust God because they needed some sort of human explanation for why all this was going on. And so they came up with these guesses. Herod chose to believe the silly superstition that you get miraculous powers when you rise from the dead, but he'd probably never seen anybody rise from the dead. But here's the problem is, like I said, Herod and his whole families were not Jewish. They didn't, they didn't care about Judaism. They didn't care about the Jehovah God. They were not God-fearing. The Herods were never God-fearing. They played a good part. They acted the part because that kept them in their Roman position because they were keeping peace. And that's always the premise of the Roman Empire was to keep peace wherever we have conquered. Keep the peace at any cost. Antipas feared humans. And that created confusion in his mind about who Jesus was because he didn't attribute it to God. I mean, any time we elevate the opinions of people over the Word of God, we're wrong. We're just confusing the message of the Scriptures. And that's what was going on here. In Proverbs 29, 25, Solomon writes, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Safe no matter what. Psalms 118:6, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, that's the heart of someone trusting God, knowing that God alone is the provider of miraculous powers, not people who are just trying to figure out why this is going on. They're, they're asking, what can man do to me? Man can hurt me, but not if you're following God. See, when humans fear or, the re, or we regard human words over God's words, we fall into confusion, sometimes confusion and a trap and many unbelievers out there in the world right now, they fail to understand the Bible because they refuse to see God's power in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the, that's the essence of it. They just refuse to understand that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. How can a man rise from the dead? I mean, they just refuse that. That's what they, they fail to understand the Bible. And the miracles of Christ, though, we've said this before in the book of Mark, he shows clearly the miracles of Christ are meant to testify to the message of Christ. He came as a ransom for many. He, he does all the miracles, Jesus and his disciples, not so he can show off, not so he can demonstrate God's power, although it does, but to testify to the message that there is forgiveness and the power of forgiveness lies in Jesus Christ. But they forget that. And we don't need to let the, the unbelieving world misinterpret our Savior as just another man, a good teacher. I mean, that's where a lot of religions believe that about him. Jesus offers forgiveness to all who believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's who Jesus is. It doesn't need to be confusing to anybody. It doesn't need to be second-guessed by any human. Jesus Christ offers forgiveness of sins to all who believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what he does. That's why he came. So we don't need to let the world confuse Jesus with any kind of human explanation. He is the Son of God, and he came to save. That's what we should be trusting in. But Herod and these crowds are trusting in their own mental gymnastics to try to explain who Jesus is. 
Herod's confusion surrounding Jesus, it stemmed from basically his unjust arrest of John the Baptist and an attempt to quiet John the Baptist. Point number two, man cannot shut down the truth. No matter how hard we try. Look at verse 17 through 20. For Herod himself had given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias and his brother, his brother Philip's wife because he had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he would be very perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. Now, this is, this is really crazy, because now Mark has kind of stepped back in time a little bit. This is a flashback, if you will, a backstory. Here's how John the Baptist got eventually beheaded. And so he's starting at the beginning. First, Herod arrests John the Baptist. And here's, here's the reason why. His illicit divorce, his illicit divorce and his marriage to his brother Philip's wife. Now, this is where it really gets nasty, okay? Philip was one of Herod the Great's sons, but he didn't rule over anything. And Herodias was married to him. Now, here's the, this real crazy thing. Herodias is a half-niece to Philip and a half-niece to Herod Antipas. She's some, one of their brother's daughter. So we not only got an illicit divorce and an illicit marriage, we got incest as well. All covered by God's law in Leviticus. Okay, so they're breaking God's law clearly. It, it's, it's quite the interesting tangled web when you get to look at it. Herodias didn't like not having the prestige of, of her husband ruling something. So she divorced, she divorced Philip. And she, and she marries Antipas. Of course, Antipas has also fallen in love with her. He divorces a princess of a king of a nearby region and gets in trouble with him. And his army eventually gets defeated by king, the king from uh, King Eretus. Anyway, the Rome, Romans step in to keep Herod from actually being captured and deposed. But anyway, it's just quite an interesting web of deceit and illegal divorces, illegal marriages, and incest. All of this captured John's attention. All of this got a hold of John's mind. Why did he pick a fight with Herod Antipas? Why would he pick a fight with this whole, about this whole thing? Truth was John's message. Truth. God's truth. Repenting of sin against God was his call to all who would listen. So John started preaching against it. The righteousness in John's soul would not allow him to ignore the wretchedness of this. It was despicable. He, he didn't care whether they were really Jewish or not. That was not important because God's rule is God's rule. God's law is God's law. God says, don't do these things. You don't do these things. So John took that righteousness and preached it against Herod Antipas, Herodias, Philip, the whole thing. He was really picking a fight. But their illusion of power, see, they really thought they were in power and in control. They were just puppets of the Roman government. But they, they had convinced themselves that they were in charge. And their sinful mindset led them astray. 
And John was not going to stand by quietly and listen to it and put up with it. Eventually, the hatred turned to a grudge, which turned to murder. Herodias was consumed by it because John was de defaming her. And I'm sure Herod arrested John on the idea of sedition, of some sort of you know, defacing or defaming or slander against the king. And because she cared and he cared about their popularity, they were afraid John was going to hurt that. So, but she wanted to kill John. Herod, he liked John. He thought John was a holy man. So he kind of thought, let's see if arresting him will shut him up. But she couldn't satisfy her bloodlust for John. And Antipas gave John some special treatment. Listened to him occasionally. He, he said he was a holy man, a righteous man. But that holiness and that righteousness didn't have any impact on Antipas' heart. But he thought he could just quiet John by arresting him. But he was wrong. John continued to preach against their illicit divorces, marriage, and incest from prison. Now, he didn't have quite the crowd in prison that he probably had before. But he continued to preach and talk about it. He continued to share it. And it just fueled Herodias' revenge. <laughs> Made her matter and matter. And you know what? Rebellion against God will do that. The more we rebel, the more we get con conviction thrown at us, or at least the truth thrown at us, and the more they rebel. And it just grew. And like I said, all the Herods, they faked Judaism to hold their place. So she didn't really care about God. She had no concern with the things of Yahweh. And John called out the truth about their sin. He did. He preached against it. You can read about it in several of the Gospels. And Antipas tried to shut him up by arresting him. But it didn't work. I wonder if it would work on us, if, if arresting us would shut us up. There are people like Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King Jr., the Apostle Paul, Richard Wormbrand. They were all arrested to stop them from their message against injustice or against Christianity or their message for Christianity. They were arrested to try to shut them up, but it didn't. It didn't work on them either. There were pastors arrested last year in Canada because they continued to hold church services in the middle of the COVID pandemic. I've seen video of them being arrested in front of their church outside. They were having church outside and they arrested this pastor. I mean, that's just north of here a little bit. It can happen. But back to John the Baptist, his testimony, his message was total truth. He had the truth. God had blessed him with the truth to preach. Yet the leaders of that time would not accept his truth. They would not listen to it. And Jesus confronted this. In, in Mark chapter 11, he, he said, he called, it, he called them out on it. He said, basically, by what a, they come to him and they said, what authority are you doing these things? They're asking Jesus that. What authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? So Jesus turns to them and he says, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they wouldn't. You know why? Because they feared men. They were afraid of men. They feared the crowds. They didn't fear God. And they refused John's message. Oh, by the way, God's the answer to, the, to Jesus' question. Okay, just in case you were wondering. It's from God. So, attempting to tr quiet the truth about sin in our lives or injustice that we're performing or participating in or immorality that we're participating in, it's a natural ploy. 
It's something we do naturally. We try to hide our sins. We try to bury them or act like they're not there sometimes. Even those of us who are believers, we, we attempt to refute or defend our sin with rationalizations, with compromises, or sometimes with just outright defiance. We re- refuse sometimes to allow God's word to convict us of our wrongs. We just refuse to let it sit, settle in our hearts and go, yes, I'm wrong in that. Why? I think some of it is because we still think we have to be good enough for God to accept us. We have to earn our way to heaven. Sometimes it's just out of plain rebellion. (laughs) We're just rebellious. And we just rebel against him. But other ways we do it, we avoid coming to church on Sunday mornings. We avoid church family. We don't associate with people when we're sinning. We kind of hide from them. We get away from them. We try everything we can to shut out the convicting spirit that God is sending to, to give us truth. And help. See, John came preparing the way for Jesus, preaching repentance. That's all John preached was repentance. Turn away from your sins. Do what you know is right. Repentance comes from a heart that recognizes and acknowledges it cannot make their sin go away. That's where true repentance comes from. A heart that says, I can't make my sin go away. I can't make myself right with God. I am completely helpless in that. That's why we repent, because we know we're not right. We can't be right. A truly repentant heart looks for the sin hiding in the shadows of our hearts and admits it freely to God for forgiveness. That's what repentance calls us to, coming to God and admitting it. And you know what? God forgives us when we confess and repent. Every time we repent, every time we confess, there's no no time he never forgives you. There's no caveats. There's no qualifications to it. There's no questions. He doesn't have to interrogate you about why you did it. He knows why you did it. He forgives. I hope you can get that this morning, that no matter what you've done or do, Jesus Christ will forgive you. That's grace. He calls us just to repent and confess, to come back and admit, I blew it. God points out our sin so we can own it. I mean, that's the truth. God points out our sin so we can own it. He already knows about it. He doesn't have to own it. We need to own it. We need to confess it. We need to accept Christ's forgiveness and move on to better days. So stop trying to shut out God's convictions. If there's a sin God's bringing up in your mind, deal with it. You can't can't make yourself better with God by hiding it. Deal with it. You cannot shut God out or up like Herod tried to do with John the Baptist. So Herod attempted to quiet John by arresting him, but Herodias Herodias wanted a permanent solution to John the Baptist, and she got her chance. Maybe. Verses 21 through 29. Let's look at that, the end of the story. An opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. When Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. He promised her with an oath. Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. (laughs) She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? John the Baptist's head, she said. At once she hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter immediately. 
Although the king was deeply distressed because of his oaths and guests, he did not want to refuse her. The king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard about it, they came and removed his corpse and placed it in a tomb. Murder cannot silence the great prophet. John's demise resulted from a celebration that got out of hand and got out of hand quickly. Uh, Antipas's birthday party was a celebration that uh, provided a strategic moment for Herodias to get her revenge. Now, understand this. In Jewish culture back then, birthdays were not a big deal. They really didn't celebrate them. It was too, it was too self-focused. And so they didn't celebrate. But Antipas wasn't Jewish. And he had a big celebration. And he had a party. The pagans loved to celebrate their birthday. I'm not saying that it reflects on anybody who likes to celebrate their birthday. I'm just saying the pagans really went crazy with it. And it wasn't really about the birthday person. It was about drunken revelry. They wanted to have a party and get drunk. So Antipas throws a party. He invites all these notable figures from around the area in Galilee. All these men who were prestigious in the, in, in the, in the community. And he asked his stepdaughter to dance for all of them. Her name was Salome. Salome was a stepdaughter of Herodias, which really makes it kind of even more nasty. But anyway, so she, he, he asked her to dance. His party was really more political. It was more self-serving, and it was definitely more immoral than it was about birthdays. Salome performed a very seductive dance, all the scholars agree that she was probably performing something that sexually aroused the men. So Antipas was so intoxicated and so debauched by her dancing, he offered the girl anything. Anything. But you know what's funny about his offer? It has no validity. He doesn't own anything. He's not a true king. He's a puppet. The only wealth he has is a stipend he gets from the Roman government and the larceny and taxes he may put on people that are in excess. That's the only way he has any money. But he doesn't own any property. He doesn't necessarily own anything he can really give. It's an empty promise. And I think Salome, the daughter, stepdaughter, knew that. So she went and asked her mother, what do I do? What can we ask for that he really actually has to give us? And Herodias didn't miss this chance. John the Baptist's head. That was her wish, his death. Well, even Salome added to the request. Immediately, she, she added the word immediately, like right now. Don't hesitate. Don't think twice about it. I want it right now. You told me I could ask for anything. I want John the Baptist's head right now. And I want it on a platter. She added that stuff, which goes to show how hatred can be passed down from generation to generation. She was just as hateful of John the Baptist as her mother was. And so Herod's love, Antipas's love for human praise, trapped him. Here he is, all these notable guys, heard him make the oath and promise, even though they were probably drunk too, and now he's caught. If I defy her, I look bad in front of them. And looking bad in front of them is more important than John the Baptist's life. So he was trapped. And so to avoid embarrassment, he promptly had John the Baptist beheaded. The executioner put his head on a platter, brought it to the girl. The girl took it to her mother. I have no idea what happened after that. Nobody does. 
I think the idea of the platter was like an idea of servitude. You're serving me what I asked for. You're a servant to me at this point in time. And that's basically what Herodias and Salome were turning Herod Antipas into. But she took it and Herodias' revenge was fulfilled. Or was it? She killed the prophet. Check. But her guilt still remained. Her guilt still remains to this day even because we know she was guilty. And the message of truth that John had been preaching to her and Herod and Philip and Salome and all of them, that truth still remains. It's recorded in God's word. It's still around. Then John's disciples, they were brave to do this. They came and asked for John's body. Sort of like Joseph of Arimathea does for Jesus' body. Basically, they highlighted themselves as disciples of John the Baptist, which could have put them in the crosshairs of Herodias, especially if they were uh, part of the, the preaching against them. But they buried him. If I had to write an epitaph, one epitaph for John the Baptizer, it would be this. The greatest prophet, according to Jesus, lives on through God's holy word today. That would be the epitaph for John the Baptist. You know, Tertullian, one of the early church fathers that lived from 155 to 220 A.D., he said this, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. church. The church of Jesus Christ has grown more during heavy persecution and martyrdom than any other time. And John the Baptist proved that as well. Who was John the baptizer? If we wanted to do a eulogy of John the baptizer, who was he? What was his calling? Well, first of all, he was the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth in their old age. Sort of like Abraham and Sarah. In, in Luke chapter 1, But the angel said to him, Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. So that's the first thing we would say about John the Baptist. The next thing, he was the Elijah to come, preparing the way of the Lord. The same passage, the angel continues, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's in Luke chapter 1. That's what he did. John the Baptist did it with all the gusto and guts he could muster. He was born for one purpose, to tell about the coming Messiah, Christ. And he was sent by God to prepare the people for redemption, for the forgiveness that could be provided through Jesus Christ. I mean, we carry his, part of his name in the name of our church. First Baptist. That's where I think we probably should say we get our name. There are some people that believe we were descendants. The first Baptists were descendants of John the Baptist, but that's since been disproved. But we carry this message, and not just his name, but this message. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. That's what we always are proclaiming here. We want to show that, the, that we trust Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. I said last week, I said a believer in Jesus Christ now has a new purpose in life, to tell other people about Jesus. That's their purpose. John had one purpose given to him by God through the angel to Zechariah, 
We have one purpose. Tell the world that faith in Jesus Christ grants eternity in heaven. See, all humanity is pursuing some form of eternal bliss. They've got some idea of what's happening after this life. People who are, who are honest with themselves, they know that this life is going to end at some point. So they've got some idea. Well, let's give them the truth. Let's give them what John the Baptist was giving them. The truth that, that Jesus Christ can set you free. So that they don't pursue the wrong things. They don't fear the wrong things. John said, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who's he talking about? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one. And John's message still rings true today. Salvation comes only from Jesus Christ. He proclaimed it to his death. John did. Let's do the same. Let's do the same. So let me cap recapture kind of what happened. Herod was confused. He tried to quiet John down with arresting him. And then eventually he killed John to try to shut him up. But he never did. None of this stops the truth. You remember at the beginning, I read the passage from John 3 about John saying he must decrease and Jesus must increase. Well, this is how it happened. This was God's plan for John's life. And this is how it happened. He slowly decreased, eventually to the point of death. You know, and when we accept Christ's rule and reign over our lives, when we confess our faith in Christ and we submit to that, we'll see God use us in any and all ways. And we have no idea how he'll use us. And he'll bring about his glorious plan like he did through John the Baptist. And let me tell you, it is the best way to live in the center of what God wants you to be doing. So believer, be a John. Tell someone about Jesus. Be willing to stand up and face ridicule and persecution. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, you can. You can. Faith says with conviction, I trust you, Jesus, your death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sin. I confess my sins and I owe my forgiveness to you. I know that I cannot be made right with God except through you. And you repent. You turn away from all the things that are distracting you, that are keeping you from going to, to pursuing God, keeping you from admitting all your wrongs. You repent of them. You put them aside. Because that's how we become a Christian and enter this wonderful life that he's given us. Let's pray. Father, you are a good God, and we can see how you allow certain things to happen, but you still manipulate them and twist them and turn them and use them for the glory of your kingdom, for your glory. We see that in John the Baptist. We thank you for that messenger. We thank you for the truth that he brought and prepared the way we thank you for the many who repented and eventually came to faith in your son, Jesus Christ, because of John's testimony. And Lord, I pray that we can be as vocal, courageous, and persistent as John the baptizer was so that the whole world may know that Jesus Christ can save. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing, Have You Decided to Follow Jesus?